I had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Jake Box, and I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and I'm so glad that you're here with us, especially if you're visiting. I'm so sorry that you didn't get the memo, but uh, thanks for being here anyways and sticking around. That says a lot about you, so uh, way to go. Um, hey, I want to just give everyone a heads up. Next week is when we should uh, expect an influx of our uh, college students back into the church, and so it's very, very exciting. I know we have some of y'all, college students are already back. We're so glad that you have you. We'll probably have about 100 more show up next week. And so uh, what I want to encourage you guys to do is to not stay away <laughs> that Sunday, but let's be hospitable and welcome them and, uh, and, and make them feel really at home and love and serve each other and Austin with God, like we say that we are. So that, that should be fun next week. And uh, we should have AC on that Sunday. The only reason we don't is because they had to have a part that wasn't coming in until Monday. And so here we are. But anyways, um, good time. So, uh, Today, we're going to wrap up the series that we started a couple weeks ago that we've been calling uh, The Upside Down or Upside Down, and we're stealing this concept from the show Stranger Things, if you're familiar with that show, and, but the, we're only stealing it in one sense, okay? Because in that show, The Upside Down, there's this, or in Stranger Things, there's a place called The Upside Down, and in The Upside Down, things are very different than in the natural world. And we are talking about the kingdom of God, and The kingdom of God is similar to the upside down in one way, like I said, that things in the kingdom of God are also very different than in the natural world. They're very different from the upside down and they're very different from the natural world, all right? But that's the concept because in the the kingdom of God, things really are turned upside down as we saw the last couple of weeks. Like last week, Justin taught on how Jesus says, hey, in his kingdom, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Well, that's upside down. Or two weeks ago, I talked about how uh, Jesus says, if you want to save your life, if you want to find life, then what do you do? You lose your life. You you deny yourself. Well, that's upside down. And and so uh, that all follows because the way that the kingdom of God was ushered in is in the most upside down thing in all of history. When Jesus Christ, God the Son, became man, took on flesh, was weak and vulnerable, humiliated, a servant, died on the cross for us. And in that sense, in dying, he was defeated in order to rise again to be victorious so that he could pay for our sins and so that we could inherit his righteousness. I mean, tell me, is that not completely upside down? And everything in the kingdom of God follows suit. And so we are talking about this because one of the things that Scripture teaches us, think about Philippians 3.20, is that we are now, if you put your faith alone, you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are a citizen of his kingdom. And therefore, in light of who you are, who you belong to, and now who you are, citizen of his kingdom, we are to live in line with the upside down values and, and, you know, behaviors of the king. We are to live as citizens of his kingdom, not in order to be citizens, but because we already are because of what Christ did for us. And so we are using this series to encourage us to say, hey, if you are a believer, if you put your faith in Christ, then you are citizens of his kingdom. Here's the values of his kingdom. They're upside down. They're countercultural. They're even counterintuitive. So let's encourage each other to live in line with them. We'll live upside down lives, but God will use them to do incredible things for his glory and the good of many. So that's kind of the big idea of this series, and we're wrapping it up today. And we're going to look at one more principle. It's kind of an overarching principle, and that is this. 
that we are to seek his kingdom, God's kingdom, instead of our own. Seek God's kingdom instead of our own. And I could have put this uh, another way. I could have said we are to invest in his kingdom ahead of our own. And, and the reason you could put it that way is because what Jesus teaches us um, challengingly, perhaps aggravatingly, <laughs> what he teaches us is that seeking his kingdom is really directly tied, is strongly linked to how we use our money. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about money. So not only are you show, showing up when it's no AC, but you're showing up to hear me talk about money. And like, this is amazing. So let me just close my eyes. Anyone of y'all want to leave right now, I understand. Now, what Jesus has to say about this is super, super important. So we're going to go to Luke 12 today. If you want to open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 13 through 20 or through 34. And I'm going to try to teach a, a message I prepared that was going to be way too long and, and, and cut it in less than half. And so, you know, it's not going to work, but it, hopefully you'll get something out of it. All right. So we're going to look at this passage because what Jesus does in this passage is so helpful because he, he points out the number one thing, a main thing, I should say, that, that keeps us from pursuing his kingdom. And then he tells us why we should pursue his kingdom and how to pursue his kingdom. And this is important for us to see because, again, seeking his kingdom and not building our own, guys, that is so countercultural, isn't it? I mean, in our culture, it's all about, like, make, make money and your money that you make is your money to be spent however you want, which is mainly, mainly to be spent on you and then maybe if there's some left over on others, but you first, right? And so we think about, man, I want that house. I want that car. I want that, I want that uh, retire early. Or we, we want that for us in, in Austin. It's less about clothes usually. It's more about adventure, more about experiences. We want to be able to do that trip. We want to do, but we think, okay, my money, spend my way. So I'm happy. I'm comfortable. And Jesus says, no, no, no. As a citizen of the kingdom, the way you seek the kingdom is that you see that it's not your money, it's God's money to be first invested in his kingdom. And I mean, that's countercultural. He says, man, that, there's something that will really keep us from doing that. And again, he points it out in this passage. Let me read it, and then uh, we'll unpack it uh, best I can. Luke 12, starting at verse 13. Uh, says, someone in the crowd said to him, talking to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Key verse. We'll spend some time there. Verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for them themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus continues. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat. Or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. 
how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Verse 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of the splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now let's pray. God, we ask that you would speak to us uh, from your word. Help us hear what you have to say to us. Open our eyes to areas we need to grow in. Move in us to seek your kingdom first, God. To honor you. To live what really counts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, like I said, first, first thing we're going to tackle this morning, what Jesus points out here, is what will keep us from seeking his kingdom. And uh, what, he, what happens, if you remember at the beginning of the text, is there's this man who shows, like, there's, Jesus is teaching to, to thousands of people. If you start in Luke chapter 12, you'll see that. There's thousands of gathered to hear him teach. Somewhere in the middle of his teaching, there's a man who shows, like, I guess yells out, says, hey, Jesus, I got an issue. My brother won't share the inheritance with me. And what most likely has happened is that uh, this man and his brother had, uh, had uh, his parents had passed away or his dad had passed away. And so the, other, the brother, it was an older brother, probably had received the full inheritance. And this guy is not sharing. All right. So the younger brother is doing what younger brothers do, tattling on their older brother, saying, Jesus, help, Jesus, help me out. He's not sharing. And Jesus says something interesting to him, right? Because he says, um, you know, I've got a, uh, I'm not an arbiter. I'm not a judge. What am I going to do? And some people point, look at that and say, okay, well, does Jesus not care about injustice? And he does. He absolutely cares about injustice. But his point is saying, hey, that's not what I'm here for. That Jesus had not come because he did not have the time and his, you know, life as a man to deal with every single individual injustice. So he did not come to deal with every single one but in order to deal with the heart of everyone so that ultimately all injustice would come to an end. And so Jesus, dealing with the man's heart, says to him, hey, you need to watch out. You need to be on guard for what? Against all kinds of greed. And Jesus shows that he sees into this guy's heart and he gives the whole crowd, he gives all of us a warning for that one thing, that main thing that will keep us from seeking first God's kingdom. What is that thing? Greed, right? Greed. Okay, so what is greed? I think most of us have a good idea. I like Tim Keller's definition of greed. He says it's money sickness. Uh, money sickness that shows up primarily in, in, in a like love for money, you know, over love for money. Think about what 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says. Uh, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
It's not money that's the root of all kinds of things. It's love of money. And you can have love of money whether you have it or you don't have it, right? So you can have greed whether you have a lot of money and have a lot of things or you don't have a lot of things, but you wish you did because you love it. So that this is a money sickness that isn't just tied to money. You can have a lot of money and not be greedy. You can have no money and be very greedy. It comes down to this love of money. Think about what Ecclesiastes 5.10 says. It says, the one who loves money never has enough. <laughs> never has enough. See, this is why greed will keep you from seeking first God's kingdom. Because if you are thinking, man, no, I got to get me mine first. You love money like that. You, you're never going to have enough. So you're never going to be a point where you're like, okay, now I'll start giving to others. Now I'll start investing in God's kingdom. You've you got to love for money. You have a money sickness. Jesus says, this is the warning. Watch out for all kinds of greed. Now, what's interesting is what he says, because when he gives us, he points to greed as what keeps us from seeking God's kingdom. He also tells us something about the very nature of greed. Does he not? Gives us some insight about it. See, why would he say, watch out? Why would he say, be on guard? If greed wasn't by its very nature something that would blind ourselves to it, you ever think about that? Like, isn't it interesting Jesus doesn't say, watch out, be on guard against adultery. Watch out, be on guard against murder. He doesn't ever say that. He says, don't do it. But why not watch out, be on guard? Because you know when you're committing adultery. You know when you're murdering someone. We don't know when we are being greedy. We don't see it. We are by greed's very nature. We're blind to it. So you got to look out for it. You got to watch out for it. You know, it's interesting. You know, Jesus talks about money like 10 times more. He talks about sex. And you think, well, why is that? Well, I think this is a part of the reason why. It's because people are blind to this. I've been a, I've been a pastor for a long time now. And I have had a ton of counseling appointments with people struggling with sex, you know, lust, pornography, adultery, those kind of things come in for counseling. In all my years, I've never had one person come in for counseling about being greedy. Talking about greed. I mean, I just wonder how many of y'all right now are leaning in, like here, we're talking about money, we're talking about greed. And you're like, oh man, I really need to hear this. I'm so glad I'm, I'm here, you know, weathering the heat. Most of us don't have that reaction, unfortunately, because of what Jesus is saying about the nature of greed. We're blind to this. I came across an interesting article this week by uh, a, a Boston College professor, Juliet Shore, and uh, she wrote, uh, or she was talking about a recent study that showed that a third of American households that make more than $100,000 a year, only a third, agree with this statement. I can afford to buy everything I really need. In the article, she went on to say, this means that two-thirds of the most wealthy people in the most wealthy country in the history of the world believe they cannot afford everything they need. Now, if Jesus knew that in his day, people would be blind to greed, so they need to watch out and be on guard against it, how much more, friends, do we need to be now? Watch out. Be on guard. It will keep you. Greed will keep you from seeking first his kingdom. So then the logical question is, okay, well, how do you watch out for something that you're blind to, right? How can you be on guard against something that you're blind to? Well, in this passage, Jesus gives us some clues. First thing I'll say is that when he just says be on guard, I would say, like, what do, you, what do people who are on guard do? 
they ask questions. They are suspicious, right? What was that sound? Who goes there? Did you hear that? Well, if you're going to be on guard against being greedy, ask some questions. For example, do I really need to buy that? Do I really need that? Could I give more money away? And if you don't ask yourself these questions, then you are voluntarily being blind. You need to ask yourself questions and you need to invite the people closest to you, people in your huddles, your discipleship groups, to ask you those kind of questions, to help you not be blind, to help you be on guard. That's the first thing. The other thing you can do to be on watch, to watch out for all kinds of greed, is that you can look for signs of greed, to look for signs of greed. And in this passage, Jesus gives us six signs of greed. And this is where I was going to spend the bulk of my message. And this is where I'm going to not spend the bulk of my message now. And so uh, I'm going to rattle these off. But if you have questions, if you want to talk more about this, man, I'd love to, I'd love to hang out and talk with you more about it, okay? So here, here's the um, six signs. There's two, there's, two, uh, beha- there's two attitudes. What did I call it? Two attitudes and then two beliefs and two actions, that Jesus enumerates throughout this passage. The first, the two attitudes are this, gloating and uh, worrying. Now, I think we get gloating, right? I mean, in verse 19, that's when the rich fool says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for me for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He's, he's gloating. He's, gloating means to dwell on your success. And he's like, ah, I'm a God, I, you know, I'm gonna eat, drink, be merry. We can see that's kind of obvious sign of greed. Okay? Worrying, not so much. I think worrying is one that maybe rubs us wrong. It's like, well, I'm not greedy if I worry about money. I worry about money because I don't have it. I can't be greedy. But what Jesus says in verse 29 is very telling. Because in verse 29, he says this, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. And what he's getting at is that when, when you are consumed by not having money, and you're worried about your lifestyle or what you, wear, what you wear, what you eat or all that stuff, that still reveals a money sickness, a money centricity to your own heart. That's why you're worrying about it. He says, it's why you've set your heart. Worry reveals you've set your heart on money. So guys, if you're watching out, am I greedy? Do I have signs of greed in my life? You look for these signs. Do you gloat? Or are you worrying about it? Let that tip you off. Okay, two, be, uh, two beliefs that he points to here. And this is going to be harder to explain quickly, so uh, forgive me. But um, the two beliefs are this, uh, that money can give you security or that money can give you beauty. That it can provide you security or, or it can provide you beauty. And uh, you probably have heard that concept before, but it's really amazing how Jesus points that out in this passage. See, because it's when he talks about the rich fool and he does that whole parable, then he moves straight into worry, right? And you kind of think, why, why, what's the connection there? Well, he, he in verse 15 had said, you know, watch out for, be on guard against what? All kinds of greed, meaning that greed can show up in multiple different ways. And one of the reasons why we're so naturally blind to greed is because we can see it clearly in others, usually a different kind of greed in others, and we're blind to our own kind of greed. Well, Jesus, in the worry passage, his famous teaching about the ravens, about the, the flowers, he's pointing to two different kinds of greed. First, he says, consider the ravens. And what does he say to consider about the ravens? How they don't have, you know, store up, and yet God takes care of them. 
He says, look, the ravens, they don't look to money to be their security. They're trusting God to take care of them, and God does. And then he says, consider the lilies, the wildflowers. So what, what do you consider about those? How, how they don't clothe themselves and that they're more beautifully clothed than Solomon and all with splendor. And God will also clothe you, array you, right? So saying, look, God is what, God's the one who beautifies the flowers. God's the one who cares for, secures the ravens. You have little faith. Will you believe that God does the same for you? But our temptation, and this is where greed shows up, is to look to money to be our security or look to money to be the thing that beautifies us. You know, the beautify, I think security makes a lot of sense, but the beautifying side of things where you look to like what you wear, what you, what you do, the type of things that you associate with using your money, like you think this is what makes me valuable. This is what makes me significant. This is what makes me acceptable in the eyes of others. If you spend money, Usually, you're, if you've uh, got money-spending sickness, that usually means that you have a belief that money can beautify you. But if you have a money-saving sickness, then usually that means you have a belief that money is your security. And guys, Jesus is saying here, money can't do either of those things for you. It can't truly beautify you. It can't truly secure you. Only God does that for you. But if you believe that, if you, you know, Evaluate your beliefs. That's a sign of greed, of money sickness in your life. Turn away from it because it can't do what you're asking it to do for you. Turn to God who can and wants to and will. So two actions, I mean, two, uh, whatever, two attitudes, two beliefs, two actions is the last thing uh, that he says on the signs side of things. And that is um, the first action is found in verse 29. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat and drink or, or uh, do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things. So the first action is running after. And I think running after really means driving yourself to the ground in pursuit of money. And so this is like overworking or even overthinking about how to get more money. If you're running after it, that's a sign of money sickness. The other sign, the other action is uh, storing up. He talks a lot about storing up in this passage. And that's what, you know, God comes to rebuke the rich man for, storing it up, storing it up. Don't, don't store up riches, but instead be rich towards God. And so he says, don't store it up. Okay, now, a couple of things on this. Does this mean we shouldn't ever have a savings account or investments? No, it's not what this means. That's very wise to have those things, okay? But... I think we all can see that there is a place, and I'm not here to tell you where the line is, where you just store up, and that can get to where you're, it's a sign of greed, okay? What's interesting, when Jesus says in verse 33, the crazy verse, right? Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Like, that's a wild statement. And I don't want to try to, like, take away the radical nature of that statement, but let me explain it real quick. When he says sell your possessions, you got to remember, he's talking to an audience that didn't have savings accounts. They didn't have banks. They didn't have savings accounts. They didn't have stocks, investments, that kind of stuff. They had currency. They had coins. But most of their, like, accumulated wealth, you know, their their wealth was found in their possessions, their house, their furnishings, their, their land, those kind of things, right? And so what he is saying to them is that there is... A, uh, <laughs> sorry, what he is saying is 
The, um, ah, okay, there we go. What he's saying is that we need to be willing to give out of our total yeah, and wealth and not just out of what's coming in at times. As God leads, if you can't give out of your accumulated wealth, if you can't give out of your savings, if you can't give out of your investments, then that's a sign of money sickness. It's not that you always have to do it. It's not like you're going to necessarily tithe out of that. But if when you, you are being willing to be led by God, and as you listen to the Spirit, if you say, no, 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 the savings is off limits, you can't touch that, that's a sign of money sickness. You give out of your possessions. You give out of your total accumulated wealth. So those are some signs that we can look for. If you see those signs in you, then that should tip you off. You know what? I, I might have this issue, money sickness in me. It's got greed in me. I need to do something with that. And if you see it, even in talking through this, if you see it, then you should know that if you see a little bit of it, you probably have this much of it. And I do too, because we're blind to it. So let's take it seriously. What do we do with that? And I wish I could tell you, but I'm all out of time. <laughs> I really am. So um, be better, all right? Now, what I love is that Jesus doesn't end it that way. And so I'm going to bullet point this literally. But hopefully, for those of you who are at Midtown regularly, you know, like it, it all comes back to the gospel. So when we come back to the gospel every single Sunday, and what Jesus does here is that he says, man, first of all, the reason why you don't seek your own kingdom, why you should run after my kingdom, is because it's in light of reality. He gives a reality check. It's in light of the king's true control. And, and this is what he basically says, is that in the parable, there's the man, God comes, you fool, He's, and he demands back his life. Demanding back, literally in the Greek there, means to ask back. You ask back what was rightly yours. God is asking back for this man's life because this man's life rightly belonged to God. And everything this guy had rightly belonged to God. God is the one in control of all things. Think about Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Think about 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Again, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. In light of God's true control, when we think we're pursuing our own kingdom and using our money to pursue that kingdom, God, that's not living in light of reality according to Scripture. We need a reality check. Our own kingdom is literally a mirage. It's not real. God owns everything. You are a steward of his money. So God gives a, a reality check. This is why we should live for his kingdom. But then he doesn't just stop there where he could have, but he says, no, no, let me also give you a heart check. Here's why. Seek my kingdom first. Because look at, your true, look at the character of the true king. Look at the character of the true king. It's not just all his, but look who he is. He cares about the ravens. He clothes the wildflowers, and you are way much more valuable than them. Way much valuable in whose eyes? In God's eyes, you, friends, are way more valuable. So you can trust him because he cares for you. So you can seek his kingdom knowing that the king is caring for you because it's in line with his character. He loves you. He loves you. 
And in light of that, therefore, we're free. Think about what 2 Corinthians 8, 7 and 9 say. It says, See that you excel in the grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for our, your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. As this is the character of the king. God loves us so much he gave us his son. Jesus loves us so much he gave us his life. That Jesus became poor on our behalf so that through him we could become rich. We could actually become co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom. That's why here Jesus says in verse 33, 32, for God is pleased to give you the kingdom. It's amazing. He's pleased to give us the kingdom. In light of what it cost him to do so, his own son, Jesus' life, becoming poor so that through, for our sake we could become rich in him, and yet he's pleased to do that? How incredible is that? In light of the character of the king, friends, we're free to be generous and invest in the kingdom because we can trust the king who's in control and really controls it all in the first place. Do you trust him or are you of little faith? Let's trust him. Let's trust him. And the trust is revealed and the seeking of the kingdom gets practical and being generous. Investing in the kingdom. And the way that you can take those steps is by your treasure. For where your treasure is, your heart is also. So give. Give to the poor. Give to advance the kingdom. Give to his causes. Give to reflect his character. Give, be generous, reveal faith in the king that you can trust. God, we love you. So much more that could be said here, God, and we need to hear it because we're greedy, or I am. Speak for myself here, God. And I need to grow in this, and I ask that you would, you would keep teaching me, that I would honor you, reflect what you're like, that many would know you, that the world would have a taste of your kingdom now as we look forward to the day when Christ you return and the kingdom is fully instilled and all injustice is gone and every person is fully cared for. God, would you help us live this out now for your glory and the good of many. Amen.